Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrow casting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Twenty ninth of January, Friday. The last couple of mornings have smelt fresh. The trees bordering the canal sharp with birdsong. Not just the oral darts of warning calls, but flowing rivers of melody entwined on the wind. Below our feet, last summer's oak leaves swim the flooded field. This is a call out to the NB wannabes. It's time to get that Ovaltine on because this is NB506812 coming to you riding a battering northeast wind that's edged by sleety rain. Welcome. It's lovely to have you aboard again. We're now right at the end of January and the weather seems to continue its cycle of cold and then mild air and this continuous assault of lows and frontal weather. And shortly after I put last week's episode to bed, we got the snows for the first time, proper snow for the first time this winter. The evening before, the sky hung heavy and expectant, the colour of slate grave markers on rain-washed Welsh valleys. And when the morning came, a a hard frost had transmuted the mud to rock and splintered glass. And then the snow started to come, and at first it came as dry grains that whipped in the torchlight air and stung the face. Then later, Big, fat flakes floated down, as feathery as a suffocating swarm of moths, and as sticky as Velcro. A protracted war of attrition against a world of colour, or at least a world of browns and greens. Huge, wet swabs that clung and stuck to wherever it fell. And... As the swans came past, their backs were covered in that downy, wet flakes. And then came the ducks, little ridges of snow caught between their wings. But they seemed to carry on, regardless, not noticing the whiteness of the world. And that's how the world is changed, one flake at a time. A boat is the perfect place to be in the snow. It's warm and it's dry and it's self-contained. Everything you could possibly need is here inside. And it floats above the weather in the same way that it floats on water. And in that grey and white world, all along the moorings here, were little warm contained worlds the trails of smoke coming out of the chimneys and the windows aglow with a wash of warm light. If you love snow, a boat is the perfect place to enjoy it, and if you hate snow, 
the boat is the perfect place to escape from it. When the snow was at its heaviest, I slid back the steel stern hatch and stood in the muffled swirling sky, colossus-like, straddling two worlds, the little stove glowing strawberry and cherry red warm my legs as large flakes clung to my eyelashes and melt icy down my neck. Penny, lying beside the stove, watched me and wagged her tail as I chatted with the swans and the bluster of ducks outside. I came across a rhyme, a piece of old weather lore, and it said, Snow like cotton soon forgotten, Snow like meal, it'll snow a great deal. And there seems to be an element of truth there. The snow, for the most part, was just like cotton, very wet, sodden cotton, and it, it didn't last very long. And a fine drizzle and grey skies just above zero meant that a thaw began early the next day and the snowmen our neighbours had made toppled in the night, and mists clung to the contours of the fieldscapes, so that the old oaks stood marooned in the soft oceans of air. Penny and I had a few walks through the crunching, scrunching snow, but it soon began to melt, and the mud began to appear once more and the air began to warm, and very soon it began almost to be again uncomfortably warm. However, a new front has come in and brought with it much colder air, and have woken this morning again to ice, and yesterday we had squalls of snowy sleet that battered the boat pretty well all day. Understandably and quite naturally, snowscapes have been featuring quite heavily on social media posts and I've been enjoying some of the photographs by one of our regular listeners, the Narrowboat on a Whim, uh, who have been um, posting some of their photographs of their um, travels during the snow and encountering some of the icy stretches. Uh, they've obviously had far heavier snows than we have and I really enjoyed a video on Twitter with their new dog Bella playing with the ice so hi there NB on a whim and hi there particularly to Bella and talking of old regulars thanks to Andrew Plummer for a lovely and encouraging comment and again, I've been really enjoying his um, social media posts. He's been posting, and I mentioned them a while back, of some really stunning uh, photographs of steam engines. And if you're on social media and Instagram or Twitter, then certainly have a look at Andrew's page. And there's a really beautiful picture of 5619 uh, the tank engine at Swanwick Junction in the night, and it's absolutely stunning. So, hi to you, Andrew. Gene Mann from Norfolk got in touch with me via the podcast Facebook page and raised some very happy memories 
with her photograph of swans under the bridge at Roxham on the Norfolk Broads. And I told her about how a, a number of years ago, there was a little cafe by the bridge. And when Donna and I went there, it was right at the end of the tourist season. And the manager sternly warned us to not go anywhere near the swans as they were uh, rather hangry and apparently the swans had got used to a diet of cream cakes and biscuits and marmite sandwiches and whatever people were eating and obviously the that sauce had dried up and a couple of customers apparently had been attacked by some furious swans who uh, felt that they were being neglected. The swans in our case obviously were quite intelligent and recognised that we were penniless students and the pickings would be pretty poor and so ignored us with that regal offhandedness that swans can have. I also got a lovely email on the nighttime on still waters at gmail.com. And it was from Olivia from a very snowy eastern United States. And she also sent me some pictures of ducks and swans, including one of her that was taken just before a swan bit her. And Olivia wrote to say that she's been on three canal holidays now and can't wait to return for another one. And listening in has helped to fill that gap and to bring back memories. And she also says how particularly she enjoys the updates of our feathered neighbours. And she also writes, on our first adventure, which was on the Kennet and Avon Canal, we saw coots for the first time. We didn't know what sort of bird they were and affectionately named them chicken ducks until I was able to look them up when we got home again. I love that. Chicken ducks is so right. And actually, thinking about it, more hens to me are even more chicken ducks. It it's their nervous, flighty behaviour, their tendency to put down their heads and run with necks outstretched with flapping wings that puts me in mind of some of the more timid and nervous hens that we used to look after. So thanks for that, Olivia. And if you do want to contact me, please do. You can drop me a line on Instagram or message me on Twitter or Facebook. Or, as Olivia did, drop me a line at nighttimewhatstillwaters at gmail.com. I love to hear from you, and it's, it's good to make that contact. And if your podcast provider allows it, please click on like or write a, a review or something. Uh, that apparently does help. I, I hate doing this bit and you can probably hear in my voice my toes curling over as I say it, but apparently it does make a difference um, and it will help the, the podcast um, generate a, a higher profile. But that's probably more than enough self-promotion for today. <laughs> 
for the past four weeks, I've been meaning to read an extract from the January section of the Shepherd's Calendar that has that very sharp-eyed observation that gives us a glimpse into the 16th century, or probably actually a bit earlier, might even be back traced back to the 15th or even 14th century world where humans and non-humans struggle against the elements of January weather. And I know I've talked about the calendar of the shepherds before and how it's structured or apparently unstructured. And again, this is characteristically a, um, a miscellany or a, a potpourri of human and non-human life all woven together in some sort of chaotic mix. And yet there is an order there when you, you look at it. And the section on January begins, it's now January and time begins to turn the wheel of his revolution. The woods begin to lose the beauty of their spreading boughs and the proud oak must stoop to the axe the squirrel now surveyeth the nut and the maple, and the hedgehog rolls up himself like a football. An apple and a nutmeg make a gossip's cup, and the ale and the faggot are the victualler's merchandise. The northern black dust is the during fuel, and the fruit of the grape heats the stomach of the aged. Down beds and quilted caps are now in the pride of their service, and the cook and the pantler are men of no mean office. The ox and the fat weather now furnish the market, and the coney is so ferreted that she cannot keep in her borough. The courier and the lime rod are the death to the fowl, and the falcon bells ring the death of the mallard. The trotting gelding makes a way through the mire, and the hare and the hound put the huntsman to his home. The barren doe subscribes to the dish, and the smallest seed makes sauce to the greatest flesh. Fishermen now have a cold trade, and travellers a foul journey. The cookroom now is not the worst place in the ship, and the shepherd hath a bleak seat on the mountain. The blackbird leaveth not a berry on the thorn, and the cold garden earth is turned up for her roots. The water floods run over the proud banks, and the gaping oyster leaves his shell in the streets, while the proud peacock leaps into the pie. The water spaniel is a necessary servant. The load horse to the mill hath his full back burden, and the thresher in the barn tries the strength of his flail. The woodcock and the pheasant pay their hues for their feed, and the hare after the course makes his hearse in a pie. The shoulder of a hog is a shoeing home to good drink, and a cold arms makes a beggar shrug. To conclude, I hold it a time of little comfort, the rich man's charge and the poor man's misery. Farewell.
As regular listeners might guess, I have a real weakness for almanacs, particularly old almanacs. And I think it stemmed from when I was probably about five or six, perhaps younger. And at that time, we lived in Kings Langley. And every day, mum would go into the village to do the shopping, and I would go along with her. And one real treat was to go to Montague's, the newsagent's and sweet shop. And Montague's was an impressive old Dickensian-looking shop. It had those great bay windows glazed with that old-fashioned glass that had bullseyes in it or, or pontil marks, like old pubs. And the interior was fitted with these dark oak counters upon which were displayed sweets and tobacco and jars of sweets lined the walls. And best of all were the displays of magazines and newspapers on their own special counter. And each week we'd go and get our comics carefully stored among the stash of ordered magazines and I can still remember that exciting sound of flip, flip, flip as the person behind the counter sorted through to find our particular comics amongst the stack. And the smell of fresh print, it was intoxicating. And I can distinctly remember how one year I fell in love with the copies of the old Moore's Almanac that were being displayed high up in racks. Their archaic typeface, the small compact size, so unlike the comics or newspapers around, or Mum's Radio Times or Woman's Weekly. And I must have begged Mum to get me a copy. And it was really like, unlike anything that she would normally buy. But but got a copy. And even after I could read, it meant absolutely nothing to me. I couldn't understand it at all, but I, I loved its feel. I, I loved its look. And it, I, I kept it for years and years. It's strange tables filled with archaic symbols. Later at school, I, I, I learned to feel the same way with those little log table books that we used to use. Again, those tables filled with signs and cosines and tangents, and most of which skidded over the top of my consciousness. But there was something bizarre, esoteric, but also intoxicating in the self-confident neatness and order. And so I've always felt and had a soft spot for almanacs, and am naturally drawn to them. They appear to have a, a long tradition in the States, the, the old farmer's almanac, an eclectic mixer of lore and science, and an element of fun there as well. The literary equivalent of a big tin of quality street chocolates. And a year or so ago, I came across a copy of Josh Billings' Farmer's Almanacs from 1870 to 1879. And I love its quirky humour 
it's actually written by a humorist and a satire. And the humor in it is actually quite surprising. And if not, if not quite Pythonesque, it's certainly quite goonish. And one day I must read you the entry on eggnog, but this is his entry for January. This month was named after one Janus, a sharp-sighted old chap with a face like a pickaxe so that he could look both ways at once, back onto the old year and forward onto the new one. But the latter part of his life he died of a thaw, leaving a snug little property, some six or seven hundred dollars, which according to one of the bylaws of his will was invested in tin back thermometers and distributed among the suffering poor of his native village, as mementos of Janus. Well, the night is getting long, so it's time for me to say good night. So this is Narrowboat Erica, signing off for the night. Stay warm, stay dry, and have a very, very good night. Good night. Temperature outside, 1.4 degrees. Inside, 24 degrees. Humidity, 81%. Dew point, minus one degree. Wind direction, northeast. Wind strength, 20 miles per hour. Barometric pressure, 1,002, rising. Precipitation, 13.2 millimetres. Moon phase, 94.6%, waning gibbous. Day length, 9 hours, 1 minute. Sunset, 16.50 Skycasting, 7.48